You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Well, today we are in part number three, and we're actually wrapping up a series called Prepare the Way, where we've been studying the life of John the Baptist and really the principles behind the life of John the Baptist. We've spent, this is our third week on it, we could spend way more than three weeks talking about John the Baptist and and pulling principles from his life. But we thought, what appropriate way, and there's no better appropriate way than getting ready for Easter than talking about John, which his main mandate from God was to prepare the way for the Messiah. So as we were just a few weeks out from Easter, we thought it appropriate to talk about John the Baptist, learn from his life, and apply it to our life. You know, week one, we talked about the miraculous conception of John the Baptist. Last week, we talked about really his main message, which was repentance. And today, uh, oddly enough, we're going to talk about his death. How did John the Baptist die and how can we learn anything from it? And the title of today's message is simply this, how do we have boldness in conviction? How do we have boldness in our convictions about God and His ways and His principles? How do, we, how do we live that life? That's one thing that we see from the death of John the Baptist is that he was bold about his convictions. He lived a bold life, and he didn't care if other people liked him or not. He was going to speak the truth in love to people. We're going to talk about how we can do that as well. I think this is really an appropriate message and a timely message for our world. I see, I feel like every single week I see or talk to or somebody shares something with me that there's so many Christians, uh, pastors even, churches even, that don't have a boldness about their convictions. What they've done is they've allowed the evils of culture and how there are things that the enemy is using in our culture to pervert the things of God when it comes to purity, when it comes to righteousness, when it's righteousness, when it comes to things that are sin and not sin. There's so many pastors even that are allowing culture to sway what they think, what they believe, and how they communicate it to the world around them. But I want to show you through God's Word how we are called to live boldly by our convictions, not to apologize for what God's Word says is sin or not sin, not to be wishy-washy and kind of in the gray or lukewarm about what's right and what's not right. No, God's Word actually makes it very clear what is sin and what is not sin, what, how we should live our life and how we should not live our life, how He's designed life to work and how He's not designed life to work. You know, really the Bible is our playbook for how we go through this life. And if we will abide by it, then man, we can live a life full of joy, full of fulfillment, But it really starts with us submitting to God's word. And in doing so, we find how we can live boldly in our convictions. And so here's what I'm talking about. I have three points for you today. And it's really pretty simple. If we're going to have bold convictions and live boldly in our convictions, first thing we have to do is this. We got to be devoted to God's word. We must be devoted, dedicated, sold out to God's word above any word. God's word above any opinion. God's word above anyone else's word, above my opinion, above above what culture says, above uh, what some uh, congressperson says, what, what some uh, president says. It doesn't matter. God's word above any word. Is that We must be sold out, devoted to God's word if we are going to have any hope of having boldness in our convictions and living, living a bold 
life. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a story from Mark chapter 6, and this is where we see the end of John the Baptist's life, how he died. And we're going to look at this story, and we're going to see how it applies to us, all right? So if you have your Bible, hopefully you do, go to Mark chapter 6. Just put a placeholder there. That's where we're going to be for the, for the next few minutes. And then if you have a notebook, go ahead and get that out. Get ready to take some notes. Let's read the first part of the story, Mark 6, starting in verse 17. It says this, For Herod, this is King Herod himself, had sent, and he laid hold of John the Baptist, and he bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Let's stop here for a second. Here's the situation. King Herod orders John to be arrested because John dared to tell the truth about Herod's sexual sin. He dared to speak up. He dared to confront Herod about it. And basically it upset his new wife. So Herod, what he had done, King Herod, he had stolen his brother's wife and he was living in a state of continual sin. He, was, uh, he, he didn't care what other people thought. He, that's what he wanted. He wanted his brother's wife. So he took his brother's wife. Now she's his wife. He doesn't care what anyone else is say, anyone else says. And so John the Baptist shows up and he says, hey, this isn't right. It's not right for you to live this way. This is against God's will. He speaks up and he speaks the truth. And basically John uh, or Herod has John arrested. I think what's interesting though is that John the Baptist, he confronts Herod and his Ill illegitimate marriage, not because Herod was a part of John's church or a follower of John. You know, I think in the modern world, we think to ourselves, well, how can I tell someone the way that they're living or say that they are living in sin if, you know, they're not in my sphere of influence, right? If I don't really know them, how can I say that action is sin. You know, if they're not a part of my church, if they're not a part of my small group, if they're not a part of my community, right? How can I speak into their life or how can I tell them or how, if someone asks me my opinion, how can I really say if it's sin or not sin? I don't know them personally, right? Well, I like to show us from the life of John the Baptist, if we're going to live boldly in our convictions and have convictions that are bold uh, for God's word, we got to be devoted to God's word. And God's word says that some things are sin and some things are righteousness. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. And we need to, to align with, be devoted to what God's word says is right. And if we'll be devoted to those things, it will go well for us. Now, does that mean that we will never have people that don't like us for aligning ourselves with God's word? No, I hate to break it to you, but if you live boldly for God, you are going to have people that don't like you. The world is not going to like you. There's going to be people that don't like you. And Jesus said, woe to you if all people speak well of you. Look, when you live boldly for Christ, there's going to be a lot of people that probably don't agree with you, don't like you, don't like the fact that you say this is right and this is wrong. But guess what? We're going to be devoted to God's word above any word, above anybody else's opinions and above anyone else's feelings. We have to be devoted to God's word. Now, before anyone gets offended and turns this off and thinks that I'm just going to be bashing people over the head with the Bible today and tell them that they're going to hell, hear my heart in this. Would you just give me a few minutes until I get to the end of my message? Because I'm going to talk about how we can love the world around us, even though, even when it seems like the world around us and the culture around us is going and on a path to hell and damnation, we can, I'm going to show us here in just a little bit, how we can love them well and how we can speak the truth in love to people to invite them into the family of God. So I'm not just talking about bashing people over the head and saying that they're going to hell, but I am saying this. You have to be unapologetically devoted to God's word. That, there, there's, there's no question about that. You have got to be 
on the side of God's word. God's word, the word of God is Jesus. If I'm calling myself a disciple, I must be devoted to the word of God. Let me get back on track here. Uh, John, John had a mandate to speak the truth in boldness. And he didn't care if, if King Herod was a part of his church because he didn't have a church, but he didn't, you know, part of his small group, had influence with him. He didn't care. He saw something that wasn't right and he said, I have to speak up about this. This is not right. This is not truthful. This is not good. I have a mandate to speak the truth in boldness. And I would say this, imagine if uh, John the Baptist was alive in 2023. Right. Imagine uh, what evils, what sexual evils would he be calling out in today's world? Would he be calling out even in today's churches and for today's pastors? Right. What things have the, the modern, especially in America, I feel like we've become really soft on some things. What things would John the Baptist be stepping up and boldly in his convictions declaring that is not right? Let me show you what is right. What things would he be calling out? Uh, John the Baptist, he's a hero of the faith, right? He is literally the one who comes and prepares the way for Jesus, the Messiah, to come into this world. He makes the path straight so people can receive Jesus, the Messiah, so Jesus can do what he's called to do and save the world. John is a hero of the faith, but I think oftentimes if the heroes of the Bible were alive today, they would be too offensive for the modern Christians to follow or support. Let me say that again. I think oftentimes if the heroes of the Bible were alive today, they would be too offensive for most modern Christians to follow or support, right? I think there's a lot of modern Christians that want to be a good Christian, but they would not support the things that John just did. They wouldn't support a, 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 a spiritual leader calling out a political figure's sin, Right? Think about that in today's world. They couldn't get behind it. They don't want to be a part of the culture war. They don't want to do any of that stuff, right? But I would say this. We have to remind ourselves that being a real Christian, being a true follower of Jesus, it will always put you in conflict with an evil culture that is being manipulated by the kingdom of darkness. Let me say that again. Being a real Christian, being a real disciple, a real follower, a follower of Jesus, it will always put you in conflict with an evil culture that is being manipulated by the kingdom of darkness. In fact, we've faced this. We've, had, we've, we've faced this a few times, and we've, I've heard stories about this, but we have people, Christians, who are they're leaving bold churches, churches that are willing to be devoted to God's word and say boldly, this is right and this is wrong. People are leaving those churches because they don't want to be a part of the quote-unquote culture war. Well, we don't want to be caught in that. We want, you know, we want uh, to be accepting and affirming and we want to you know, love everybody and all this stuff. And I'm not saying that we don't love people. Hear my heart. Again, I'm going to get to that in just a second. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. We must, as a church, we must be devoted to God's word. We have to. It is the foundation of everything that we stand on. And for those people that are leaving bold churches that are standing for God's word, I would say, have you not read? God's word? Have you not read the Holy Bible? It's, it's called the Holy Bible for a reason. There are righteous standards in there. We serve a holy God, a pure God, a righteous God. We serve a God who is just in everything that he does. Have you not read the end of the Bible? Do you not know that in the end times, you will be forced, whether you want to or not, as we get closer to the end times, you're going to be forced 
to take a stand either for Jesus or against him, either boldly in, 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 uh, in, uh, behind in supporting God's word and the truth of God's war, word or against God and his word. You are going to be forced to. I'm going to be forced to in the short days to come as we get closer to the end times and Jesus coming back. We are going to be forced to make a stand. And I would say this, if I truly believe God's word, I can't help but boldly agree with and speak the truth in love. I can't help it. If I'm truly, if I truly believe all of God's word, I can't help myself but speak the truth in love. So here we see John the Baptist, he calls out sexual sin because sexual heresy is rebellion against the creator. That's really what it comes down to. John calls out sexual sin because sexual sin is heresy against, it's, it's a rebellion against the creator. Sexual sin and, and the pervertedness of it, it is the celebration of a prideful and an unsubmitted life. And that is totally against what God calls us to do. He calls us to crucify our flesh, to be born again spiritually into his family, to pick up our cross and follow him, deny ourselves, crucify our flesh. He calls us to do these things. We are not our own. It's not my body, my choice anymore. No, it is God's holy temple that I am stewarding here on this earth. I must submit to his will for my life. Thousands of years later, though, the truth is still the truth. Sexual heresy of the modern culture is just as evil and it's just as rampant in today's world. The same evil, the same demonic spirits are at work in this culture as it was here with King Herod. It just looks a little bit different. I heard one pastor, he said this, I, I really do agree with this. I think this is true. We're even seeing this now. But there are three big battles that the capital C church will have to boldly fight in the coming age. There's three big battles. The one is this, we're going to have to fight for the family because the enemy hates, the enemy hates reproduction because the only thing that the enemy can reproduce is, is lies. He is the father of lies. And the enemy knows that if he can get one generation to believe lies, it won't take long before that lie becomes a generational curse for generations to come. And it's going to become a stronghold in that family's life. He hates the family. He hates what it looks like. He hates reproduction because he can't do it. He can only father lies. The second big battle that we're going to have to face is for biblical marriage. What's biblical marriage? It's one man, born a man, one woman, born a woman, and holy matrimony and covenant together with Almighty God, a reflection of the Trinity. We talked about that in our last series when we talked about increasing in marriage. We're going to have to fight for biblical marriage. Why? Because the enemy hates covenant. He hates covenant. He can't stand covenant. He hates covenant. And he knows if men and women will operate in their God-given roles as a reflection of the Holy Trinity, there's no attack the enemy can throw their way to keep them from accomplishing their purpose. He knows that when men and women submit and operate in their God-given roles, not what they want, not what they think is best, but how God's designed it, if we will all do that in our marriages, that we can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God and we can live in fulfillment in our marriages and have the best marriages on this world. But we got to do our part and submit. we got to fight for biblical marriage. And the last one is gender. We, the enemy is the author of confusion. He is the author of confusion. If we allow confusion to consume the next generation, it will steal their true identity, which can only be found in a loving heavenly father. If we allow, let me say it again. If we allow confusion to consume the next generation, 
It will steal their true identity, which can only be found in a loving heavenly father. We got to fight for the family, for biblical marriage and for gender amongst a lot of other things. But those are three big battles that I think we're going to have to face even now, but also in the coming age for the future generations. We're going to have to make a stand and be devoted to God's word on those standards. These are three main areas that we must be bold in speaking the truth about because the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear about family. It's clear about biblical marriage. It's clear about gender. God made them male and female. It's clear about those things. There's no gray area in those things. I'm going to say two statements that seem harsh, but I'm going to show you in scripture where they are true and freeing. Okay. They seem harsh, but let me say the two statements and then I'll show you in scripture where we see this. Okay. The first one is this being liked by Herod and an evil culture is not more important than being faithful to the Holy scripture. I'll say it again. Being liked by Herod and an evil culture is not more important than being faithful to the Holy Scripture. That's one. Number two is this. I pray this will free some of you. You are not unloving because you love God more than you love the world. Let me say that again. You are not unloving because you love God more than you love this world. Pastor Dan, that sounds harsh. Aren't we called to love everybody, love our neighbor as ourselves? Yes, but let me show you in Scripture more, particularly what I'm talking about when it comes to um, the sin and the perversion and the darkness of this world. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Do not. Love the world, love the evils of the world, love the lust of the world, love the perversion of the world, love the, the sin of the world. Do not love the world or anything in it that it has to offer you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Here's the second verse, James 4, 4 says this, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Whew. You want to go kick in the pants every now and then just read James okay it's only five chapters James 4 4 don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God I say it again if you want to be a friend of the world you make yourself an enemy of God look you're not unloving because you love God more than you love the world that's what it comes down to. So point number one is this. If you're going to, have, you're going to live boldly in your convictions, you've got to be devoted, committed, sold out to God's word and what God's word says about this life and about how we are to live this life. Point number two is this. Be aware of the spiritual war. Be aware of the spiritual war that we are in. Let's continue reading Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 19 here. It says this. Verse 19. Therefore, Herodias held it against John... And wanted to kill him because what? He called out their sin. So she held it against him. How dare you call us out on our sin? We, were, we want to kill you. But she could not. Verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So King Herod is actually afraid because John is a just man. He's a holy man. He's seen some of the things, heard about some of the things that John has done. And he actually is a little afraid to kill him in order to do that. But he says he's not going to, but his wife is pressuring him to kill him, wants to kill him, but Herod won't do it. Verse 21. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, he gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, the chief men of Galilee. 
And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Verse 24. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet, because of the oath, oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Let's stop here for a second. There's a lot we can talk about here, but I'm going to try to keep myself contained and talk about what I have in my notes, what I feel like God's put in my heart. Herodias convinces her own daughter to dance suggestively and provocatively in front of the king to get Herod to do whatever she wants. That's what we see. Still today, hear me in this, still today there are adults who want to sexualize kids in order to advance the agenda of their own wickedness. Things have not changed. There is nothing new under the sun. Let me say it again. Still today, there are adults who want to sexualize kids in order to advance the agenda of their own wickedness. I'm going to tell you something. We are in a spiritual war. Be aware. We must be aware of the spiritual war that is taking place. Things are not drastically different than they were 2,000 years ago. Yeah, things look different. Technology is crazy different. Absolutely. However, the spiritual war that is taking place is still raging. It's still going on. The same things that the enemy tries to put into our culture is still happening today. People are trying to sexualize kids to get their agenda pushed, to to challenge the, the way that God has made things. We're in a spiritual war. We're a spiritual war for our entertainment and what's in our movies, what's in our kids' movies and the things that are being put in front of our kids on a regular basis. Um, man, kids' YouTube, uh, you may think that all that stuff is pure, but do some a little, a little bit of research and find out what is on kids' YouTube. It's kids' content, but it is not kids' content. It, we are at war in our entertainment, in our schools, and in our culture, and it aims to do the same thing it's been doing for thousands of years. The war is aiming to do the same thing, to sabotage the destiny of the next generation. The enemy is saying, what can we do to sabotage the destiny of the next generation? How can we get them when they're young to get way off track so when they're adults, they don't even know the loving Heavenly Father? The demonic strategy, it has not changed. It is still exactly the same. The enemy is taunting the church today the same way that the enemy was taunting John the Baptist thousands of years ago. The enemy is taunting the church saying, you better keep your mouth shut or else, or else we're going to cancel you, or else we're going to burn your churches down, or else we're going to come after you. You better keep your mouth shut or else. That's exactly what the enemy did to John the Baptist. But did he keep his mouth shut? No, he was bold in his convictions. It says you better keep your mouth shut about sexual sin. Church, you better keep your mouth shut about sensitive cultural issues. Church, you better keep your mouth shut about the war on kids. Church, you better keep your mouth shut about some of those things. Otherwise, we will cut off your head. Otherwise, we're coming for you. We're going to cancel you. We're going to come. We're going to burn down your stuff. We're going to come after you with everything that we have. And I'm going to say this. In the spiritual realm, the enemy is saying we're going to cut off your head. But at Abide, We will be a church 
that says you may try to cut off our head, but you can never steal the voice of truth. You may try to come after us. You may try to cancel us. You may try to throw everything you got at us, but you can never steal, cut off, or stop the voice of truth. Herod may occupy a place of political power, but we will never allow Herod to have our voice. We will never allow Herod to have our kids. We will never allow Herod to have our devotion to the Holy Scripture. We see, we have discernment as a gift of the Spirit to see into the spiritual realm and see the spiritual war that is taking place. Our allegiance is not to a political figure like Herod. Our allegiance is to the high King of heaven and his name is is Jesus and his way is pure and righteous and he is a just God. Our allegiance, our devotion is to the high king of heaven. Here's what I I love about this story though. Even though John, his life comes to a drastic end and honestly a sad end for standing up for truth. Everything the devil steals, kills, or destroys, God wants to take and use for his glory. And this is what we see in the life of of John the Baptist. Though he is beheaded here and his life ends here, the enemy thinks he won. Oh, John was bold, so we're going to cut his head off. We killed him. But here's what we have to understand. When Jesus heard about John's death, Jesus was sad. He grieved. He wanted to get alone and pray and be alone for a little bit. But in, in the next little bit of time after John was killed and Jesus heard about it, then in just a little bit of time, immediately after that almost, Jesus does one of the most amazing miracles that we see in Scripture. He feeds the 5,000 people plus 5, 10, 15,000 people with one little boy's lunch. He does one of the most amazing miracles. And so what we see is though the enemy was celebrating, I've won. I killed John for speaking up for what is right. Jesus, or God rather, comes along and he says, yeah, one died. One lost his physical life. But guess what? Now upwards of 15,000 plus people received life from Jesus. He fed them, not just physically, but he fed them spiritually. He healed them. He taught them. He brought them the kingdom of God and says, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me show you about it. So though the enemy was celebrating that one may have seemingly lost his life, but guess what? Jesus turns it around and he immediately after that, he brings 15,000, upwards of 15,000 people, shows them the kingdom of God, reveals himself to them, shows him his glory. And guess what? The enemy, once again, he overplayed his hand. He thought he had won, but God always wants to take it and turn it for his glory. So here's what we have to do. If we're going to have bold convictions, let me recap. Number one, be devoted to God's word above all. Number two, be aware of the spiritual war. There are things going on that's not just people being people or just innocent things in our kids' movies. There's things going on that are coming for you, your family, and the next generation that are evil and perverted. Be aware of it and battle it in the spiritual realm. Number three is this, though. We got to learn to walk in grace and truth. And this is where I'll wrap up. We got to walk in grace and truth. The only way being bold in our convictions genuinely spreads the gospel is if we walk in grace and truth. We can't just walk in truth. We can't just walk in grace. We have to walk in both of those things because that's what Jesus did. In fact, the perfect example of this is when people bring a woman who is caught in the act of adultery and by law, she is to be put to death. She is to be stoned. They bring her, they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus sees this woman 
And he bends down, he begins to write in the sand, and they begin to speak up and ask Jesus, Jesus, she's supposed to be put to death. She's, we're supposed to stone her. We have rocks ready to go. Jesus, what do you say about her situation? And he stands up and he says, let the one of you that has never sinned, that has no sin, throw the first stone. And slowly, one by one, they begin to leave. And there, there's this woman who was caught in the act of adultery who truly, actually, according to the law, deserves to be put to death. But here's where we pick up in John 8, verse 10. Jesus stooped, st- stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Or where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Look at this. Neither do I condemn you. There's grace. And from now on, sin no more. There's truth. Look, I have grace for your mistakes. But I have freedom for you in my truth. Go now and live free from your sinful lifestyle. Don't go back to your sin. Don't be enslaved to your sin anymore. No, be a slave to righteousness. Here's an invitation to live righteously and to live pure from this moment forward. Go and sin no more. But in the church, we often give into one extreme or or the other, right? This is what we do. Grace or truth rather than grace and truth. This is what we do in the church world. Many times we're all truth. Just go and sin no more, right? You better, if you don't clean up, then God's going to strike you dead. You better clean up your act. You better try harder. You better be better or else you're going to go to hell. That's all truth. Or I think in the modern world, we fall, fall more to in the grace. It's all grace. Where, where are your accusers? That side of the, the statement from Jesus. Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. It's no big deal. Love wins, right? It's live your own life. You do you. Everything's fine. Everything's covered. It's all truth or all grace. But we at Abide Church will be a church that is full of grace and truth. We have to. We have to be full of grace and truth. We are not here to shame you or condemn you to hell. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. However, hear me, however, We serve a holy God who has a righteous standard. And when he's the Lord of your life, he will transform your life to align with his perfect will, which is his word. We're not here to put shame on you. The gospel is shame off of you. It gets the shame and condemnation off of you. We're not here to condemn you to hell, but we are saying, we're here to say, we don't condemn you, but hey, guess what? We have someone who will help you. His name's Jesus. He's going to help you sin no more. He's going to help you walk in purity, walk in a fulfilling life the way that he's designed you as his creator to walk. He's got purpose for you. He's got things for you. He's got good things for you. Will you trust him with your life? Will you not just let him be your savior? Will you let him be your Lord. And when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, that means every area of your life, right? Every single area. He's the Lord of your marriage. You submit to him. He's the Lord of your parenting. He's the Lord of your relationships. He's the Lord of your work. He's the Lord of your sexuality. He's the Lord of your past, your present, your future. Lord, I lay it all at your feet. I submit it to your word. And I believe, Lord, that you're going to set me free and show me how to live in your perfect will for my life. Here's what I love is that Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. He was not 50-50. He was 100% both. And it's the same with grace and truth. He was 100% 
100% truth and he was 100% grace. He was not 50-50 because if he was 50-50, there would be times where he was 60-40, 70-30, grace and truth. No, he's 100-100. He was the perfect combination of grace and truth, 100% grace, 100% truth. But it's easy for us as humans to fall into one of those two ditches. All grace, everything's fine, all truth, you're all going to hell. It's easy to fall into that, and here's why. For every mile of truth in the middle of the road, there's two miles of ditches. For every mile of truth in the middle of the road, there is two miles of ditches. There's a ditch on each side. There's two miles. And the tension that you have to face when it comes to living boldly in your convictions is, Lord, help me walk in both grace and truth. Help me walk in the middle, in the, in the truth, in the middle of the road, not in one ditch or the other. Help me not fall into one thing or the other. And walking in grace and truth, guess where it starts? It starts with us first, me first, you first, and then others second. This is why Matthew 7, verse 3, Jesus said, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice that log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here's what he's saying. You'll never, you'll, you will never have the spiritual sight to help others until you allow Jesus to do a work in you first. You will never have the spiritual insight to help others until you allow Jesus to do a work in you first. Here's what that means. Don't fall into the trap of, well, I am holier than thou, right? Well, my sin's not as bad as their sin, right? Well, at least I'm not as bad as them. So I lie. So I gossip sometimes. So I, so I uh, cheat sometimes, whatever it might be. I'm not as bad as them. But the truth is it's easier to be angry about people who sin differently than you. It's easy to, it's easier to be angry at people who sin differently than you do. That's really what it is, right? Well, I don't, you know, they're, they're disgusting. They, they battle with, with homosexuality. They battle with homosexual thoughts or temptations. Well, you battle with gossip. You, you battle running your mouth all the time. You battle running, you know, having gossip and, and trying to get in on the gossip all the time. It's easier to look at them and say, well, they are way worse than I am when God's word says this is sin. You may not battle with lust or porn, but maybe you have an anger issue. Man, you blow up at your kids, you cuss out your wife, you yell at your kids, you're punching holes in the wall, you can't keep a job because you're so angry all the time. You may say, well, I'm not as bad, I'm not addicted to pornography, but man, you have an anger issue. Maybe you don't have a pride issue, but maybe you are lying all the time. Guess what? Look, it's easier to be angry at people who sin differently than you. But the first thing we have to do is say, Lord, I need your grace <laughs> to forgive me. And I need your truth to help me. I need your grace to forgive me. I need your truth to help me. We all have room to grow and develop. And we can love people. Hear me in this. We can love people right where they're at. Right where they're at, no matter what thing they're struggling with. Just because you're struggling with something doesn't mean that's your identity. You may struggle with homosexual temptations. That doesn't make you a gay Christian. Anything in front of the word Christian in your life, that means you're not a Christian. Anything in front of Christ, above Christ, that means that Christ is not first and he will not be second to anything. No, you may struggle with something, but that doesn't mean it's your identity. 
You can be free of those things. You can be free. You don't have to. You don't, it doesn't mean that you're going to have to um, battle that and say, well, I am just a gay Christian. No, listen to me. You may struggle with those temptations, but that's not your identity. God has a plan for you. He's got a way for you to be free from that, to walk in agreement with his word. You may battle with a temptation. You may battle with an addiction right now. Well, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm addicted to this, and that's just who I am. Listen to me. What you struggle with is not your identity. What you struggle with is not your identity. Your identity lies in the truth of God's word. Don't let the enemy put anything in front of Christian, <laughs> gay, straight, whatever, uh, unworthy, whatever it is. Don't let the enemy put anything in front of that, that word Christian in your life. If you're a believer, God has good things for you, but it's only found in submitting wholly to God's word. We can love people right where they're at, in their sin, okay? While, while they're still sinning, Christ died for us. We can love people right where they're at. And, hear me, declare our allegiance to the words of Jesus and the Holy Scripture. We can love people right where they're at. And declare our allegiance to the words of Jesus and the Holy Scripture. Those two must go hand in hand. We don't just declare um, our allegiance to God's Word and the Holy Scripture and be all, all truth. And we don't, don't just fall into loving people right where they're at and everything's fine and no worries. You don't have to ever change. You can continue with that lifestyle. No, listen to me. Listen to me. You got to get in the middle of the road. It's not all grace and it's not all truth. Jesus is grace and truth. If we lose, hear me, if we lose the ability to speak the truth in love, then we have lost the most important avenue of fulfilling the Great Commission. If we lose the ability to speak the truth in love, then we have lost the most important avenue of fulfilling the Great Commission. We have got to learn, how can I speak the truth in love, in grace to them? However, I cannot compromise speaking the truth. Here we go. Let me wrap up here. I pray that we are a people who are okay being disliked by Herod and his culture because we hold a higher allegiance to King Jesus. At the end of the day, I pray that we would be a people who are okay being disliked by Herod and his culture because we hold a higher allegiance to King Jesus. And let's learn from John the Baptist to have boldness in our convictions. And really, it's pretty simple. It's pretty elementary, okay? Number one, what did I say? Be devoted to God's word. You are not unloving because you love God more then you love the world. In fact, you're great in alignment with God's word. Number two, be aware of the spiritual war. There's more going on than we think there is in the spiritual realm. The battles that are taking place and the war that's taking place in the spiritual realm, we must be aware of. The enemy will threaten to cut off your head, but that doesn't mean that he can steal your voice. Number three, walk in grace and truth. Grace and truth. No condemnation. We don't have condemnation for you. We're not going to preach condemnation for you, but... To, if you want to be a part, everyone's welcome to buy church, but if you're going to come to a buy church, we will ask you to submit your life to Jesus. And I promise you, he will show you how to go and sin no more, not to continue in sin or a lifestyle that is against God's word. No, grace, we love you. No condemnation for you. We don't condemn you. However, we know Jesus and his truth will set you free where you can go and sin no more. Now, now, maybe more than ever, hear me, our world needs the boldness of John the Baptist. 
to speak the truth in love and call people to repentance. Now, maybe more than ever, our world needs the boldness of John the Baptist to speak the truth in love and to call people to repentance. And guess what? That's a huge lesson that we can learn from the death of John the Baptist. How do we have boldness and conviction? It's really pretty simple. But when we do it, guess what? We can make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is clear. Your word is true. Your word is not a mystery. Your will is not a mystery. Lord, you've made it simple. You've made it black and white. You've made right and you've shown us what is wrong. And Lord, I pray for everyone watching this, listening to this. Lord, I pray that if anyone watching this is struggling with something, Maybe they're struggling with uh, homosexual thoughts. Maybe they're struggling, struggling with lustful temptations. Maybe they're struggling with pride in their life. Maybe they're struggling with gossip or lying. Lord, maybe their marriage is struggling because of selfishness. Lord, I pray for anyone that's watching this. Lord, I pray that would you help us submit every area of our lives to you. We want you not just to be our Savior, Jesus. Would you be our Lord? We submit to you. We give it to you and we ask you to do a work in us. And God, we thank you for it. I pray that you go to work. I pray that you would take these words, the, the principles behind the life of John the Baptist. Would you help us understand them at a deeper level this week? Would you help us put into practice this week everything that we've learned? And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.